thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. Well, it's really good to see all of you today. We are concluding our series on Turn the Page. Everyone say, Turn the Page. I, I like, I'm going to ask you for some response today because I don't want to feel lonely. I don't want to feel like you're with me. So uh, if you, just don't get mad at me if I ask you to say weird things along the way. But we're concluding this series on Turn the Page. And really, it's relevant for us as a church because we are turning the page. We are in a transition. And so we're stepping from one, Pastor George, who has served here for 33 years as a senior pastor, is stepping back. And I'm stepping in to lead the church for the next however many years God would permit that, allow that to happen. But we're in what's called a transition. And as, as Pastor George and I were talking through this transition, we realized, listen, we're not the only ones transitioning. Every person on the planet transitions. Now, how many of you have transitioned in your life? There's been something in your life you've had to walk from this place to another place. And so what we realize, whether it's in your personal life, where it's in church, where it's in you know, an organization you're working in, your, your marriage, your career, your walk with God, there are always transitions. And so since transition is a part of life, because it is, um, it's important that we have some principles on how we're going to navigate our transitions. Actually, how are we going to succeed in transition? And so we want to look at some truths and some principles today that God will guide us successfully through this transition. And so our destiny, something very important. Matter of fact, I, I titled this message, Turn the Page to Your Destiny. Because we've talked along the journey, we've talked about sometimes the, the pain of, of transition. We've talked about the hurts of transition. We've talked about the struggle of transition. But there comes a point where you got to say, enough is enough. I'm going to what? Turn the page. So say, turn the page. That was a good one. I heard something of it. Someone did it really well. You can talk about turning the page. You can stand there and say, boy, I sure wish this, this page would turn. Boy, this sure is it's difficult. I've come to the end of this chapter, and man, I can't wait for God to turn that page. And God's like, I want you to turn the page. And so I feel like we're at a season of time, and I think what God wants us to do too in our personal lives and for us as a church as we come to the realization it's time to turn the page. And our destiny and our future, here's the great thing about it, doesn't change when our jobs change, doesn't change when our kids move, doesn't change when you retire, it doesn't change when we move, it doesn't change when leadership changes, it doesn't change, you know, every four years when there's a presidential election. Our destiny is not connected to these moves and changes. Your destiny doesn't change when you graduate high school or when you graduate college. And when you go through hard times, yes, we've, as we've talked about, God will put a period on your transition. You will come to the end of it, which is your desert and a difficult time and a stressful time maybe sometimes. But God will never put a period on your future. God will never put a period on your today unless you, unless you leave this earth and step into eternity. There is always a tomorrow. 
And God always has a plan for your tomorrow. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter what stage of life you are in. God always has a plan for tomorrow. And it's time for us to turn the page. Actually, as Pastor George and I were talking this week, and matter of fact, I hope you don't mind this. We talk a lot about you. Um, and, but it's all good. It's all good that we talk about, for the most part, it's all good. <laughs> But we talk about God's plans for you. We talk about God's future for you. We're excited. We're talking about how Faith Bible Chapel had a future when Bob Hooley retired 33 years ago. Some of you don't know who Bob Hooley is. He was the founder of of the church here. But 33 years ago, he retired. And guess what? Faith Bible Chapel had a future. And who stepped into that role as senior pastor after Bob Hooley was Pastor George Morrison. And he's been serving for 33 years And you know what George told me this? He said, Jason, God had a plan after Bob Hooley retired. God has a a plan after I step back to another another position. And guess what, Jason? God will have a plan after you retire. Why? Because God always has a future. And so there are a lot of similarities with kind of what we're walking through, but also with all of our lives. This is just a ministry thing. But there's a reality of our transitions of real life that all of us are walking through. And so it's actually Pastor George talked about last week. He said this, our ability to make the shift of the transition is what determines if we will possess our destiny. And that's very important for us to understand. There is always more territory, but our ability to make the shift is what is crucial. Hebrews 12.1 says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Who are this, what's this cloud of witnesses? They are, we are part of this, this journey of people from Bob Holy to George Morrison to actually elders and Sunday school teachers and youth pastors and worship leaders. Listen, we, we all just are playing our part in God's story for this church. But this great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, sin, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, why did they put in this whole, why did the writer of Hebrews put in this whole thing about running the race and talking about such a great cloud of witnesses? I'll tell you why. Because the reality is this great cloud of witnesses is that all the saints went before them. All the saints are watching that have went before us, reminding us that we're a part of history. In your family, how you live your life one day. Listen, I have a, there's a grandfather that, that I, that, that was my grandfather that served the Lord. Guess what? He's a part of the cloud of witnesses. And he's cheering me on. He cheered my father on. He's cheering me on that we're a part of this. And so everyone needs to understand at one point you're going to be a part of the race. And another point you're going to be a part of the cloud of witnesses. But the reality is this is a generational thing. It's moving from one generation to another generation to another generation. And so I believe the writer of Hebrews wanted to remind us, one, we're part of a history. We're part of a heritage. We're part of God's story for his kingdom. And we are in a design of God to be in the place we are right now for such a time as this. And so it's time that we turn the page. Say, turn the page. We turn the page to our destiny. And God has territory for each of us to claim. He has a future for you. He he wants you to possess something. And I'll tell you this, the next chapter of your life has your name written all over it. It's something amazing. It's something profound. But here's the deal. you got to get there. 
So in order to possess what God has for you, there was always this thing called a transition. Listen, transitions are difficult. Everyone who's gone through one in life, whether it was a job, whether it was marriage, listen, there was a transition for my, my wife and I. When we got married, there's a transition from single life to married life. And I, for some of you, you're like, oh, it was the greatest time in the world. For me, I thought, man, I'm realizing how selfish I am when I first got married. I know none of you would ever think that was me, but I promise you it was. And all of a sudden, this transition was hurtful, painful. And then once I got over that, I guess we had kids. Anyone ever had kids and went through the transition of like, yay, we're this, just me and you, baby. And all of a sudden, what's this other baby doing here? And it's a transition. You have to shift the way you think. You have to shift the way you process. You have to shift the way you live your life. you got to die to yourself. you got to serve other people. It's a transition. And so that's life. And it goes from one to another to another. But this is what uh, I had a a friend, his name was Bishop Joseph Garlington, and I had the great privilege of hanging around him as I was involved with a ministry called Promise Keepers for a while. But Bishop Joseph Garlington, he was a pastor from a church in Pittsburgh, said this about transition. This is how he describes transition. When God closes one door and opens another, there's always hell in the hallway. <laughs> Isn't that encouraging? It's just so encouraging. Thank you, Bishop. I so appreciate that. But it's so true. There's hell in the hallway. You get in the hallway. You're like, yay, here we go to the next door. And you get to the hallway and then and all hell breaks loose. And you're wrestling with yourself, with your identity, with all these things you're struggling. And, but God uses the hallway. Aren't you glad God uses the God uses the hallway to purify our identity, to prepare us for the next chapter and it's in this hallway that we think, God, um, apparently you don't know what you're doing. And then in the hallway we think, and apparently I have no clue what I'm doing either. Because I'm freaking out. Pastor George also said the week one, he said this, when it looks like, though, God isn't doing anything, God is up to something. And that's the hallway. So I want us to look at Joshua chapter 1. If you have your, your Bibles today, you can open them up. If not, there is a Bible right in front of you. Let me encourage you to do that. But as you're finding that, we're going to learn some lessons from the children of Israel, their transition, and ultimately how they turned the page to possess their promised land. They didn't sit around and talk about turning the page. They didn't sit around and say, one day we're going to turn the page. They actually did something to get there so they could turn the page and step into their promised land. We need to understand the backstory leading up to Joshua chapter 1. Fascinating story. If you've never read the journey of the children of Israel out of Egypt, let me encourage you to do that. It's, it will transform your life. For one, it's the word of God and it will change you. But secondly, you're going to see some incredible things that God has done. But leading up to Joshua 1, God had delivered the children of Israel or Hebrews at the time from slavery in Egypt. God chose a man, Moses, to represent him. He called Moses out of a place of obscurity, and he put Moses before Pharaoh, and God used Moses to do these crazy, ridiculous miracles. God also used ten plagues to finally convince Pharaoh. and says, all right, you better let my people go. And Pharaoh said, enough is enough. I will let your people go. And Moses was made the leader of the Hebrews coming out of Egypt. And Moses led them. 
to possess their promised land. And he began a transition from slavery into their new journey to the promised land. But they had not reached their promised land yet. I, I like to call transition some kind of like this. It's a nowhere between two somewheres. So I know where I came from. I know who I was before. And I have a sense of where we're going over here. But the journey from, from here to here feels like a nowhere. You kind of feel lost. You're like, God, are you with me? God, are you, are, are you, are you, what's going on here? And that was the journey that Moses began to lead the children of Israel into this transition. And so they set off on the journey. Now, just so you know, it was an, it was. It is an 11-day journey approximately from Egypt to the land of Canaan, where they were heading to. Straight shot, 11 days, hey, walk here, come to the end of Egypt, turn left, you'll be there. But it took them 40 years. How discouraging. I wonder if they ever knew, this is a side note, it was only an 11-day journey. Are you kidding me? I don't know if they ever knew that. But if they found out, they would have done even more murmuring and complaining than what they did. I guarantee it. But along this 11-day journey that turned into 40 years, they murmured, they complained, they questioned God. They, even, they, they thought, hey, let's make our own idol. While Moses is up meeting with God, let's just make our own idol and worship God. And let's just fall into debauchery and sin. And they did that. They had unbelief. Because they didn't know, really, if they wanted God to lead them. They were still wrestling. I know, God, you brought us out of Egypt, but we don't know if you want us to lead us right now. And there were three stages that's important as, that led up to Joshua chapter 1, what we're about to read. Three stages that got them there. It's very important. There was the first stage of deliverance. And you can write that on your notes. It was a stage of deliverance. It works the same way in our lives. Listen, all of us were saved. All of us came to know Jesus Christ and our lives were transformed. And we moved from, like, from slavery in bondage into freedom. We were free. We were set free. And this is the stage that they were in. They were in slavery and bondage, and God set them free. We, we, can, we can relate to this. All of us were in slavery. We came to know Jesus Christ. He forgave us, and we stepped into a fresh new journey in our lives. The second stage was development. There was the stage of development. They left Egypt, then they started to walk in the wilderness. For the children of Israel, it was this, the transition was the wilderness, the ups and downs, the dry seasons, the difficult places, the hell in the middle of the hallway that we're going through. The season of, of this wilderness, it is not fun. I've never met anyone who walked through the, through the transition of from one door to another door and said, man, that was awesome. I wish I could do that again. Lord, put me back in the middle of the hallway again. No one ever says that. We normally stumble into the next door and go, thank God that we're here. It's not fun, but it's critical for our development. I came across this quote. It says, there's no one that has reached his destiny or their destiny without going through the wilderness. So if you're in the wilderness now, because some of you may be, there's good news and there's bad news. Which one do you want first? You want, okay, I'll give you bad news. The bad news is this. It hurts. But here's the good news. Your pain is leading you somewhere. Your pain is getting you somewhere. Your pain has a purpose. And you're on your way to somewhere. 
The third stage is this, the stage of claiming it, which we're going to be looking at today. There's something to remember leading up to this passage is that everywhere for where God was taking the children of Israel and taking you, he has already provided. I want you to understand that for a moment. Everywhere God has taken you, he already provided it for you. Your, cha- your next chapter is actually already written. God already knows what's going to go in there. And a lot of people want it. They want their destiny. They want their purpose. They want their next season. They want their next stage of life, but they don't want to go get it. And so we sit around and we talk about the transition. We talk about the hell in the hallway. We talk about the pain. We talk about this. And all of that is legitimate and it's real. But we have to come to a place where we say, enough is enough. I'm going to turn the page. I'm going to flip over to the next chapter of, of our lives. For the children of Israel, their promised land was theirs. Think about it. There were wells they didn't dig. There were houses. This is a promise from God. You're going to go and live in houses you didn't build. Man, I like that. What else is going to be there? Vineyards you didn't plant. This is amazing. Now, it didn't say, but I'm sure he said there's wine in the cellar that you didn't have to squash with your own two feet. Someone else did it. You can sit around and sip on Canaan wine and just enjoy. All of it is there for you. It's, It's done. Okay, now what? It's on the other side. Oh, you're not going to bring it to me? No, it's on the other side. What do you mean? You mean I, got, I have to turn the page? You need to turn the page. So they had this inheritance. This land God had given to them. It was divine provision. But they still hadn't decided whether they want to live under God's rule or not. So God would just kept kind of another trip time around the mountain for them. So and because of their rebellion... So they came out of Egypt, and because of their rebellion, God made a decision that the generation that left Egypt would not themselves get to see the promised land. Forty years, the whole generation was gone. Now, there was a new generation that was birthed in those 40 years. Now, what's interesting, there was only two individuals that left Egypt, that that saw the deliverance of Egypt, that or saw the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt, only two individuals that were able and God permitted for them to cross over to the Jordan into the promised land that God had promised them. And that was Joshua and it was Caleb. And God instructed Moses before Moses died, God instructed Moses, you need to choose Joshua as the leader to lead them to the next chapter. And so Moses did so. And Joshua stepped in to lead it. And we come to Joshua chapter 1. And we, that's the backstory. Joshua chapter 1. Now we're getting ready to understand what God is saying to Joshua. That God wants us to turn the page. Say with me. Turn the page. And so let's begin to read Joshua chapter 1. Verses 1 through 9. And I'm reading from the ESV. It says this. And we should have the words up on the screen if you want to follow along. But it says this. After the death of Moses... The servant of the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm, going, I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given it to you, just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness 
And this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river of Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, towards going down of the sun shall be your territory. Verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be, be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I want to share with you four principles that we can learn from this passage that will help you turn the page and possess your destiny. The first one comes from Joshua chapter 1, which we just read, but it comes from the verse 2. Is this, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and cross the Jordan. If you're going to get to your destiny, this is what you're going to need to do. You're going to need to leave yesterday behind. And this is what God is saying to Joshua. You're going to need to leave yesterday behind. But here's, I want to bring some clarity to this just for a moment. God was not telling Joshua to forget about Moses. Matter of fact, God was showing honor to Moses. If you look at the, at the passage, if we, if we just flip back one, if you don't mind. This passage, Moses, whose servant? My servant. Moses isn't your servant, Joshua. He's not the children of Israel's servant. He is my servant. That's my man. He's mine. And he honored him. God loved Moses. God trusted Moses. And I believe what God was saying, so Joshua, don't knock Moses. Don't forget Moses. You need to honor Moses. But, Mo, but, but Joshua, something you need to understand, son, Moses is gone. The chapter, a page is being turned. And actually, this statement is actually showing the, God's perspective on the generations and of, of what he desires. He desires, let me say that differently. It shows God's perspective on how he sees generations. God is the God of generations. Something's very important. No one generation owns the corner of God. No one generation owns the presence of God or the wisdom of God or the creativity of God. God is wanting his presence and his creativity, his kingdom to grow from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. That's why when he introduces himself throughout scripture, he says that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What happens many times, and especially the Christian world, one generation feels like, really, we, we know what's going on with God. It's either this, the younger generation says the older generation has no clue what's going on, or the older generation says the younger generation has no clue what's going on. 
But that is not in God's will, nor is it God's purposes, nor when you read scripture, you see it time and time and time again, that God is the God of generations. Because there is a building upon each foundation from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob that we stand on each other's shoulders. Listen, there's a generations of 10 generations before mine of people who preached the gospel, people who led my family to Christ, people who were you are standing on their foundation, I'm standing on their foundation, and we as a church are standing on the foundation of those who have gone before us. But there is the reality here that God was setting some things in order for this young leader, Joshua. But also he was saying this, that God's plan or his plan was not a, is not about a person. It was not all about Moses. And guess what, Joshua? It's not all going to be about you either. It's about my kingdom. It's about my people. It's about my plan. It's about my purposes. This was not about the person Moses being gone. This statement was about a season or chapter that they were leaving. And when you really think about what's going on here and the turning of the page to the next chapter, it's of the season. I can imagine Joshua was partly freaking out. Joshua had been mentored by Moses. He had seen Moses. He had known Moses gone up on the mountain and, and met with God and came down with his face glowing like, you know, like on fire. He had seen Moses and his meekness, seen Moses and his leadership. And then all of a sudden, here he is, taking over this great, great people. Naturally, he was thinking, probably when he's facing issues, I don't know if you've ever done this, like thinking this, well, how, how would Moses do this? How, what would Moses say? But God was going out of his way to say, listen, Moses, my servant is gone, was going out of his way because he didn't want Joshua anchored to Moses. He wanted Joshua anchored to himself. He wanted Joshua anchored to the purposes of God for these people. He wanted Joshua to say, listen, you're going to have to be close to me in order to lead these people. And, Joshua, and God does not let Joshua go to his tomorrow until he allows his yesterday to die. So many people are controlled by their yesterday. And yesterday, it will destroy you, my friends. It will absolutely destroy you. The good of yesterday, the bad of yesterday, and the ugly of yesterday. The good are your successes. The great things that happened to you, you should appreciate them. We should take time and thank God for them. You should remember the good things that have happened. But we need to remember that those things are yesterday. I came across this quote from a very well-known preacher and leader in the Christian faith. He said this, if the only thing we can talk about as far as what God is doing in your life is what he did yesterday, then we are completely missing out on what he wants to do today. See, the enemy wants to link you to yesterday because it will keep you from your tomorrow. I actually know some folks, and, and because of just my, a lot of my relationships, I'm connected with a lot of leaders and pastors. I know some people, some pastors and some leaders who have never recovered from the successes of yesterday. There are business people who have never recovered from the success of yesterday. 
And it's just too humbling to start over again. So we're always chasing what worked yesterday, what we did yesterday, what the business was yesterday. And, and they're missing completely out on what God wants to do with them today. The good of yesterday is for us to remember. It's for us to praise God for it. It's for us to say, yes, God did that then. And we can believe that God can do that now. But it's not to hinder our tomorrow. There's nothing wrong with looking at yesterday, learning from yesterday. But the moment yesterday keeps you from moving into your, into your tomorrow, you've made yesterday an idol. A lot of people, well, what is, God, what is God saying today? I don't know. Let me ask yesterday. What did God do yesterday? And here's the, th- here's the deal about the moves of God in your life and in my life and our church's life. God does not do, what, do something what he did 20 years ago and just kind of spit on it and polish it up really good and then bring it to here. He does something brand new. He doesn't need what he did then. He can do something brand new right now in our lives today. That's what we need to seek him for. Because God always has a destiny and a purpose. He always has a tomorrow for you. And God has new miracles for each and every one of you. And I believe God wants to lift our level of faith. Because so many times, I'm telling you, if you have faith to believe that God can do a miracle in your life. And we begin praying together. I begin linking arms with you, Scott. And we're Scott Piper. And we're praying, man, God, what do you want to do? And we have prayer meetings. God, what are you saying today? And we're linking arms with you, Michael, and Phil, and you know, the Rollins, and we're all praying together. Patrick Weathers, what is God doing in your life today? And we begin to see God together, and we begin to, to say, God, I want you to change me, to transform me. I don't want to look to yesterday for what you're going to do today. I want the fresh word of God to transform my today so it alters generations to come from this point on. But also, we need to let go of the bad of yesterday. Anyone have any bad linked to yesterday? You know, the bad of yesterday hinders us a lot. The bad of yesterday are our sins, they're our mistakes, they're the things that we've, our failures, our regrets, they're the things that we say, oh man, I wish I hadn't have done that. And when we look at the people in the Bible that God used and used in incredible ways. Listen, this is very important for you to understand. It's hard to find one that didn't mess up. Thank God. Now, this doesn't give us permission to blow it because all of them had deep, painful consequences. But God still used them. But here's the good news. When they repented, when they said, Lord, I'm sorry, When they got back under God's authority, God was able to take their mess and to do a miracle in their lives and through their lives. And I believe most people are one prayer away from turning the page to a new life. One prayer away of asking God to forgive them. One prayer away to say, I'm no longer going to be in that adulterous relationship. Lord, I'm sorry I repent. I no longer am I going to do my finances in a corrupt way. Lord, I repent. I'm sorry. But here's the other side. I'm no longer going to allow my mistake of 10 years ago to limit me from what God wants to do today. 
But the enemy just wants to tell us, hey, remember that? Remember that broken relationship? Remember that situation? Remember how you screwed up there? Remember all of that? You'll never be anything because you messed up 15 years ago. And God is saying, let yesterday go and embrace my today. Don't let the bad hinder you. You have Peter. This is a beautiful story. Peter was the friend of Jesus, and, and he, he walked with him, and he, and he, and he, he hung out with Jesus, and he, he got to see Jesus lay his hands on people and heal them and restore them. And, I mean, just amazing, man. I would give anything. to just I could zip back in time and hang out with Jesus just for like, like five seconds. I'd love it. I know everyone else would too, so I know I'm not the only special one here, but I would love that. But Peter walked with Jesus. He was his dear friend. And they ate together. They laughed together. They were probably, you know, the disciples were sarcastic with one another, but Jesus was the center of their lives. They were just this family. And Jesus was talking one night about how um, he's going to have to go and, and be crucified. And, and Peter says, Jesus, I'll never deny you. I'll never deny you, Jesus. And Jesus probably cocks his head a little bit and says, Really? You think so, Peter? Yeah, I'll never. I'll die. I'll give my life for you, Jesus. He actually, and Jesus said, actually, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows in the morning. Peter said, well, that's ridiculous. Jesus gets arrested. Jesus gets hauled off. Peter's kind of freaking out, thinking, oh, man. This, this is the real deal. They're probably going to take his life. And he's warming his hands out by this fire and just kind of warm in there and thinking, oh, I wonder if anyone notices me. And this little girl walks up to him and says, hey, were you with Jesus? He says, no, 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 no. No, I don't know Jesus. And a matter of fact, Scripture said he cursed her. Used profanity. He went back. He became a sailor again at that moment. Then he went somewhere else. Hey, aren't you the one with Jesus? No, 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 I don't know Jesus. I, I, no, no. I, and, they, and he cursed. What, hey, and then another situation. Aren't you the one that was with Jesus? I don't even know Jesus. What are you talking about? I've never known him in my life. Who are you even talking about? All of a sudden, the third time he hears the rooster crow. And it hits him. The one that loved him. The one that he spent in the last three years of his life. He couldn't even admit knew him and crushed him. Jesus was crucified. Peter thinks, I'll just go back to fishing. And Peter's fishing out on the water. Jesus was, after he had raised from the dead, Peter looks up and he sees this figure sitting around a fire, sitting around a fire, cooking breakfast, Peter comes off of the water, and there's Jesus cooking breakfast. You have to understand Peter's heart, man. He's, he's broken. He, he, he denied even knowing this man. And Jesus is sitting around a fire cooking a fish. And he looks Peter in the eyes, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, you know I love you. Then you need to feed my sheep. Then he looks him right back in the eye again. He says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, you know I love you. 
feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus. Peter finds himself around a fire again. He finds Jesus asking him three times. How many times did Peter reject Jesus? Three times. Peter, do you love me? Three times. What was Jesus doing? He was restoring the bad of yesterday. And Peter's life was changed. That's what Jesus wants to do in your life. He's not concerned about your bad of yesterday. He just wants to restore the bad of yesterday. All of us have it. But you have to leave yesterday behind. Also, we need to let go of the ugly from yesterday. Now, this is the stuff that's difficult. This is the stuff that happened to you, and it wasn't your fault. You were a victim. You suffered the pain. Maybe you were abused as a child. Maybe you were fired unfairly. Maybe your wife cheated on you. Maybe your husband cheated on you. Maybe your business partner stole from you. Maybe you were falsely accused, the situation that altered the course of your life. But here's the incredible, beautiful thing about this God that we serve is that he can do nice things with ugly things. And God can use those ugly things in your life to take you to your future. But it's time to turn the page. All these things, we learn from them. We benefit from them. We grow from them. But we don't let them keep us from our tomorrow. Second principle that was take us to our destiny is this. We need to take hold of our inheritance. It's time to turn the page and take hold of our inheritance. God told Joshua in chapter 1, 3 through 4, he says, I will give you every place you set your foot as I promised Moses. What an incredible, incredible promise. I tell you this, if God said that to me, I would say, sweetheart, hold my coffee. I'm going to start running. Because the quicker I get the soles of my feet on that ground, it's mine. Because God said What is God saying? He's saying this. God has already purchased and set aside your possessions. You just need to possess it and go get it. Most of the time people say this, well, I'm just waiting on God. And I, I, listen, and I understand that, and there's, there's qualities in just waiting on God, but I don't think that's the problem most of the time. I think the problem most of the time is that God's waiting on us. We have to do something. We have to get, step out, and where we're uncomfortable. we got to make decisions that make us tremble. we got to do something and move forward. Amen. Most of the time when God sees something significant, and when God does something significant with a man in the Bible, it is after he started to move. You ever heard that saying, it's really hard to steer a parked car? The same principle. It's like Moses getting ready to cross the Red Sea. He walks up to it. He stands there. The army's coming behind him, hot on his heels. He can feel the flicker of his hair because the wind from the chariots. He can hear them. The people around him are screaming, what are we going to do, Moses? And God says, hey, Moses, um, what's in your hand? 
It's my rod. Okay, so extend it, please. So Moses says, okay. Puts it over the Red Sea and the water splits. He had to do something. Joshua, before he, they were getting ready to cross the Jordan, as you continue to read in this chapter, brilliant chapter, I love it. But as they continue to lead, he, he says this, God tells him to tell the priests to put their feet in the water of the Jordan. On the other side is their promised land. So tell the priests to put their feet in the water. What's that going to do? I think that simple principle is this. Sometimes you need to be willing to get a little wet before you're able to walk across on dry ground. Could it be that you haven't discovered your destiny, friends, because you haven't started moving yet? You haven't turned the page. You're waiting. Oh, God, make the page turn. Make the page turn. Make the page turn. And God's saying, why won't you turn the page? So what has God spoken to you that he wants you to possess and take hold of that you haven't turned the page to yet? I guarantee you this, whatever it is that he has spoken to you about, it's going to require faith. You're going to have to do something. And a lot of times you measure faith, actually all the time, you measure faith by your feet, not your feelings. Because whatever it is that God has you, he's, maybe he's challenging you to, to straighten some things out in your life, straighten some things out in your marriage, straighten some things out with your relationship with your parents, Straighten some things out in your, in, your, in your thought life. Straighten some things out however you're living your life. And, and he's saying, listen, it's time for you to do this. It's time for you to straighten them out. But your feelings are all over the place. It's time for you to make a decision that's been a hard decision to make. And your feelings are all, your emotions are up and down and sideways and on the floor. and It's difficult. But faith says, I'm going to extend the rod. Faith says, I'm, I'm going to get my feet a little wet. And I'm scared. But God, I'm trusting you're going to break through. Third principle is this on possessing your destiny and turning the page. Is this, you need to focus on God, not people. God told Joshua, this is another incredible verse that I take it as my own. Verses 5 through 6, he says this, hey, jo- hey, son, listen. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Wow. As I was with Moses, in other words, this is this generational thing. But you notice, he didn't say as Moses was with me. He said as I was with Moses. In other words, I'm still your source. So I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and be courageous. You notice a pattern all through this this passage of 1 through 9 and through the book of Joshua. God is constantly telling Joshua, be strong and be courageous. Be strong and be courageous. Be strong and be courageous. Why do you think he was telling that? Because Joshua was freaking out. But this is what he was doing in this one. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. He was saying this. Don't think that people will be able to stop the progress that I have for you, son. That's your promise as well. Whatever God has placed in your heart, whatever God is speaking to you, listen, 
God's the author and finisher of you. No man is. People are not the king. <laughs> Jesus is the king. He will complete the work he began in you. I'll never forget, I walked into the office of Cindy Connor, who her and Dennis Connor were the worship leaders several years ago here at the church, and they're still on staff to lead our drama department. And she is just this wise sage. I don't know if you ever have an opportunity to speak to her. And I went in there, I was talking to her about some message I was preaching, and I like to run things by people because I love different perspectives. And, and it was about the will of God. And she said this, she said, Jason, something you need to know. And when Cindy, said, Cindy Connor says it, you listen, because she's, she's walked it for a long time. She says, no man will ever be able to thwart God's plan for your life. Oh, isn't that wonderful? No man will ever be able to tell you what you can and cannot do for God, ever. No man will ever be able to say, listen, you have a dream, you have a hope, you, you know, you want to have a, you want to do this and you want to do that, and if God put it in you, no man has any control over that. That's between you and God. No man's going to thwart it. Because his word is supreme. And the last principle about possessing your destiny is this. You need to stay tied to God's word. Listen, if you're turning the page, make sure you're turning the page with the right principles, with the right understanding, with the right motivation. Make sure you're not turning the page because it's something you want to do. Find out, is it what God wants me to do? And God said to Joshua, verses 7 and 8, be careful, son. Well, it doesn't say son, but I like to say son because I'm the southern guy and it makes me feel more intimate. Be careful, son, to obey all the law my son Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. In other words, don't alter it. Don't, you just stay on course. Why? So that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything in it. Then, again, he says again, then you will be prosperous and successful. You want to be successful in the next season God has for you? Stay tied to God's word. Meditate on it day and night. Let it be a part of your life. Don't run to it when you're in crisis. You read it when, you're, when you were in relationship with God every day. Let it change you. Let it alter your mind. Let it transform you. Let it change the way you see God and see others and see yourself. You will be on target if it's a part of your life. And the way you possess your destiny is to stay tethered to this book. Stay connected to this book. The first question when you're pursuing God's purposes is what? What does God's word say about it? You could say, well, God showed me this, and God sent me this, and God sent a pink dove to land on my pink house. and what, That's wonderful. I think God can speak that way, and he has in my life. But if it, if it contradicts what God is saying in here, it is not of God. So say tethered to God's word first. Let this be the supreme guidance of your life. When you make decisions about the page you're turning, ask God, does it honor you? Is it integritous? I'm going to stand before you and give an account. Does this align with your word? As you're disciplining, raising your children, as you're allowing your children to do things and to, and to be involved in other things, ask the question, does this line up? Is this tethered to what I'm allowing them to do with God's word? If it's no, then don't let them do it, whether they feel like you're a mean parent or not. Say no. Turn the page. 
Let God's word tether you and keep you to this next journey where God has taken you. God has a destiny for your life. God has a destiny for your plan. It is time. Everyone say, turn the page. It's time that we turn the page. No longer live tethered to the good of the past. No longer live tethered to the bad of the past. No longer live tethered to the ugly of the past. Let's live tethered to the book of the present, to the God of the now. He is the God of the right now in your life. No matter what you're facing, listen, we are in a transition here at the church, but I'm telling you this, God has plans that are beyond anything we can imagine. God has plans for your life that is beyond anything that you can imagine. There are souls whose destiny is hell unless they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and we become a church that continues or and we continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God for our salvation. God has a plan for you. Whatever God's doing in you, there's a season God is leading you on. You are on a journey. You may think, God, my day is over. Listen, that's fooey. That is not of God. You might might think my day will never get started. That is fooey. That is not of God. God has a plan. He has a purpose for you. There is a journey for you. And for us as a church, for you in your personal life, these things are keys to us turning the page and possessing the destiny that God has for you. May we leave yesterday behind. And may we say, God, what do you want for me today? May we take hold. You take hold of your inheritance. What has God promised you? He already purchased it. It's already yours. It has your name written all over it. Then get across the Jordan and get that thing and turn the page. Focus on God, not people. Ask God, what do you want, God? What do you want for my life? What do you want for what you're asking me to do? What do you want for me? God, I I set aside what I think people think I ought to do or what that person says I ought to do. God, what do you want for me? And let's stay tied to the Word of God that we can live lives that shine of the purity of our Father. My friends, you have a beautiful, bright future. But here's the deal. this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.